comes to you once a week recapping the hollywood week that was getting you ready for the hollywood week to come this is mike mike and oscar weekly hashtag mmo weekly hashtag mmow coming to you live from quarantine still i'm your co-host mike one co-host also mike in a moment this is only the i don't know ninth tenth time we're trying to record this intro right now you guys won't hear that though this is going to be fresh out the box for you but we've had some technical difficulties on our end but more importantly than that we have had new content to actually cover as we have some stuff going around the industry of hollywood and that's what this show is about your weekly romp around everything hollywood and industry news i'm your co-host mike one like i said also mike how are you getting through this part of the quarantine michael so this is the 17th time we've said hello <laughs> based on you know all these technical issues like you've said but uh no it's good i, I it's a, it's a weird time in the world it is a weird time for you and me this is holly weird we're talking about today yeah that's 10 minutes shorter than my last th- 14 responses to your opening question are you happy <laughs> Thank you. I'm proud of you. But like I said, we did have some content to even out the weirdness with this week as we had a a big thing that millions of people watched that we previewed a bunch on this show. So let's dive right into the What We're Watching segment. Michael, give it to me. That's what we're watching. Thank and I you. almost uh, want to sing the bull song, too. Like, dun, 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 dun. That's terrible. <laughs> I'm not cutting that, by the way. That's staying in. Uh, but my voice cracked. You're not going to cut the voice a- crack? Absolutely oh. not. No, we live and die by the sword here. Uh, the Last Dance, the first two hours of the Michael Jordan documentary, the much Ballyhooed documentary series that ESPN was supposed to debut this summer in July that has been moved up because of the corona pandemic. It had its first two episodes debut this This past Sunday, Mike, what did we think? So when this was happening in real life, I was in eighth grade and I was getting a life for the first time in my life, I think. So I wasn't paying attention to the ups and downs of the drama on every sports center. Like you were a couple years younger than me. I was cooler than you for (laughs) that one period of time there, right? Correct, correct. And you were like a daddy's boy, just all into this and knew what was going on, whereas I didn't. So I was in a trance watching this documentary or the back-to-back episodes from 9 till 11. Like, it was mesmerizing for me. But you kind of knew the twists and turns, though, right? I I knew them cursory, yeah. I didn't know the backstory backstage politics and behind the curtain stuff but yeah growing up i was a total sports junkie anyway so i knew about the pippin contract scenario and i knew about him stopping his feet and refusing to play in playoff games when plays were drawn for tony kukoc instead of him i knew jerry Krause was a lightning rod and he was like that unifying force for evil but i didn't understand how somebody with the fame of michael jordan scotty pippin and phil jackson it didn't register with me how they weren't the last word and how they didn't have the biggest voice in the room. Uh, so it, it was nice to kind of get a refresher here to be retold this stuff with new context and experience that I've gathered over life. So this period in the NBA was not like the movie star era where Jack Nicholson was able to command huge back ends and all these, you know, huge stars were able to just pick and choose their projects and, and and their projects would live or die based on their attachments, right? I mean, the player empowerment era in the NBA comes with LeBron and Kawhi now, but this was the forerunner to that. You had a GM 
basically blow up a dynasty right. because he said so, because he got it, into it with the head coach and then the second star player, and finally that soured the star player to retiring early. So this is just a ludicrous situation that I, I can't get enough of. I, I'm, I, I wish I had the next eight episodes right now. I would watch them. Yeah, and it's nice that we do have those in the future. I mean, mm. appointment viewing is kind of coming back, at least for sports fans and people who are desperate for new, I guess, entertainment content of that time. If you can sit through a sports documentary, the next few Sundays here, the next, I don't know, what, four of them, I guess, are going to be appointment television viewing. You're going to sit down, you're going to watch two hours of this, and you're going to get through it. And hopefully it's going to dive deep into answer some questions that we didn't know. Because the only reservation I have about this thus far, and it's only the first two episodes of a 10-hour thing, is that... It was recontextualized, but I didn't learn any new information that I really didn't know. I hope they dive deep into some other aspects. I hope we get, like, why he retired if they're going to show... They're not just showing the last season. They're showing the lead up to the dynasty, which I was very, very happy to see. So they're they're going to show go deep into some other areas that weren't just about that final season. So if that's going to be the case, I hope they get into why Jordan left for baseball. I hope they get into his gambling and all that stuff. I'm very, very interested to see where this goes. But those first two hours I'm with you were just sublime. Mike, I'm wondering if Jerry Krause is actually going to be the villain at the end of this. I mean, could Michael Jordan be such... Uh, a polarizing character at the end of this that that that's why he did not you know allow this documentary to be made until now because of all that backstory that that, that was released this week too where he uh basically took him until the uh, Cavs won the championship that you said on a previous recording that I'm pretending like it's my <laughs> That's some right good now. intel you got there, Mike. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, that story leaked out, I think it was Sports Illustrated this weekend, saying that Michael Jordan didn't give his blessing for this doc to go forward until a couple mm. of years ago. And he also was on the record saying people are going to look at him differently. He's worried about how he's going to be seen. So, yeah, it's entirely within the world of possibility. This is a very unique story in that if this played out in real time of the age of social media, if this was to happen in 2020, I think people would probably feel a different way about it. And I think Jerry Krause might've gotten run out of town, but there is that chance. Who knows? Maybe Michael Jordan does end up holding the bag. It's not like Jordan is on the record as being the easiest guy to get along with already though. Like he kind of has that uh, reputation about him that he was not, he was a killer. He had a killer instinct. He tormented my youth, right. beating my my New York Knickerbockers. He was the – I mean, I did not grow up loving Michael Jordan like everybody else. <laughs> I grew up hating him. And just like – it was just so painful growing up a Knicks fan and running into him every other year, almost every year for a, for a short span there and just losing in the most just – bloodletting fashion like i've probably <laughs> lost years on my life expectancy because of those torments right. so, i'm sure tony kukoc feels the same way <laughs> he did that to him during practice so gonna be interesting i'm very very fascinated and like i said it's nice to have some kind of throwback old school appointment television viewing where you have to be in front of your tv on sunday nights uh i'm sure game of throne fans felt this at some point which i cannot really relate to I love that feeling. It's a great feeling. You sh- should enjoy this feeling for the first time. Good for you. <laughs> Thank you. What else did you watch? I watched Tiger King episode eight. We were both talking about how we were kind of guilty and feeling dirty yeah. over the whole Tiger King phenomenon, kind of heading into this episode, this tack on episode, where we were not eager to like jump on it, Mike. No, it's uh, the more I think about Tiger King, the just the worse I feel about 
for those animals. I don't think anyone on that show really gives much of a shit about the well-being of the cats anymore, which I think they got into it with those good intentions, but I don't think that's where they ended up. And I, I think this is just a good cross-marketing opportunity for Netflix. They just unveiled the rights to community that they have. Joel McHale obviously was the star of that show, and now he's doing this behind-the-scenes or wrap-up episode or whatever reunion show that Tiger King is. So I think it makes sense. Tiger King's a hot commodity right now. Community's one of the hot streaming things on Netflix, and it's new. So why not have Joel McHale play uh, Ted Koppel here? <laughs> but Joel McHale did a good job as a reporter here. I, I, I was surprised that he actually took a journalistic slant and, uh, you know, he wasn't just the quote unquote talk show host comedian trying to get a rise out of these characters. Right. These real life, you know, personalities who are in the thick of this shit. Uh, <laughs> he, he, no, he's asking them serious questions about the welfare of the animals, which is you know, noble of them. And then I thought they did a nice job editing it as well, because you've seen a lot of these, you know, done during quarantine shows that are not edited well, that are right. met, that are just a mess. And you get why, and you, you forgive them why, but the production values were, were higher than I, I feared. So this episode actually played very watchable. And a lot of these people are, you know, again, mesmerizing. I'm overusing that word, but it, it was a quick 40 minutes. It went by fast. Did you uh, feel less gross after watching this one? No, I felt worse in oh, a way. Okay. <laughs> but I did, I did enjoy like the fantasy casting of the show of the show that would for be for a movie, and that's something we're going to talk about at the yeah. end of the episode. Mike, I watched Sergio on Netflix. Uh, it was more of a showcase for Anna de Armas than I expected. She had awkward chemistry with the lead, though, Wagner Mora. Uh, he, he did a nice job as well. So the performances are high. This is a true story about uh, Sergio DeMello, who worked for the United Nat Nations for many years. So he had a very important career. The movie's very manipulative because the uh, story structure is just all over the place. So when you finish watching the movie, you're like, wait, it ends there? So they were just really playing me the whole time, and I just... <laughs> I was very aggravated by the kind of story they were telling. So I give it like a C plus because of the performances, but not the best thing I've seen on Netflix, let's just say. So something to do during quarantine, but nothing you would do outside of it? I felt so bad about movies. Like this has happened to me twice in the last two weeks. Like a Netflix movie has almost made me want to stop watching movies. Like I couldn't watch another movie last night. <laughs> Just stop the practice altogether. I was going to watch Sella in the Spades after it, right? I mean, that mm -hmm. was on my watch list. I finally made time for it. I was going to watch Sergio and then that movie. And then I was like, I can't even do it. I can't even do it. I, I, I was done with movies last night after Sergio. <laughs> Okay, so Sergio dampened your entire professional career. Uh, the main did anything event, bring you back? <laughs> the main event did that to me last week where I watched Bigfoot videos. So this is my, <laughs> my, my place in the world right now where I'm struggling with the double features if the first part of the double feature is not good. Right, okay. Anyway, I watched The Gentleman. This was days before. It was not a double feature. I was fresh. I loved it, Mike. Probably Guy Ritchie's best movie since Sherlock Holmes. I mean, he's done Snatch, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, Rock and Rolla, but The Gentleman is definitely of that vein, and I thought they nailed the editing. The performances are great. Matthew McConaughey is in full-blown Lincoln commercial mode for two hours, <laughs> and it is great. I love it. He's just at the table, sipping on the drink, smoking the cigar, 
talking about whatever he wants to talk about. And this is the one that we had high hopes for Hugh Grant revitalizing his career and maybe taking a new career path and slant on characters he can play. How do you do? He's my number one and best supporting actor. You won't believe it, Mike. He has knocked off Pete Davidson off his his, uh, (laughs) pedestal right now. So I was very happy with Hugh Grant and one of the best performances he's had. And, and look, I mean, we obviously haven't had a, many Oscar movies come out this year, but this is like a bona fide excellent performance from Hugh Grant. So I, I wouldn't be shocked if it got, you know, increased profile. And who knows? Maybe he gets some awards love at some point because of this movie. As a negative, though, you know, I, I can do without Colin Farrell's character lecturing a, a person of color about what is and isn't racist. So... <laughs> This movie does say the darndest, stupidest things, you know, Mm. in a way. Like, uh, there's a scene there. Like, I don't need that. Nobody needs that. The world doesn't need that. So, you know, Guy Ritchie still step, you know, puts his foot in his mouth. He's done that for years, too. So, whatever. Nothing new there. An overall pleasant surprise from Guy Ritchie after uh, you wanting to abandon movie watching forever. From that's right. Sergio, that's right. So that's good. <laughs> I watched Baccarat. This on uh, Lincoln Center's virtual streaming. Uh, uh, basically, they, they just offer it online, so I watched it on my laptop. Mike, Baccarat is a strange and violent international film. It's this modernized Western. They call it a weird Western. And it's weird in the sense that there's a, a lot of nudity. I would say, and I'm a bit of a prude, and it's just weird nudity, like a lot of dick. There's a lot of dick in this movie, and it's strange dick, and it's dick that you don't expect. So <laughs> I still give the movie very high marks, or and then I give the movie very high right, marks, because however of you want to yes. interpret what I said. But basically, this is an awesome movie. It's very unique. It's very different. And I thought it was worth the $12. I was very surprised by this. It's cool. Yeah, it's a probably, probably a good time to reveal that the original name for this podcast was going to be Strange Dick before we settled on Mike, Mike, and Oscar. <laughs> uh, I wish it was just a person named Richard telling me that. I could have made so many more jokes. Mike, The Whistlers was another uh, $12 purchase for, for a rental. This was on Bowtie's Virtual Cinema. And this was kind of cool, but I, I think I could have, you know, waited until it was six dollars on demand or something. Because, you know, The Whistlers is this international film selection, I forget out of which country from last year's Oscars, right? It's about uh this guy who's a cop who's also playing both sides with this gangster story with this you know, MacGuffin case thing where he's trying to get away with a a bunch of money. Mm -hmm. And it it reminded me of Motherless Brooklyn, but it involves this made-up whistling language that he has to go and learn. And it's just very, very boring when he's learning this whistling language. But they do give you some tutorials. And if they were better or if my hands weren't just sausage fingers, (laughs) I might have been able to learn how to whistle like this. I always dreamed of learning how to do it, but I, I, I well, couldn't. I think for one, you need to increase your capacity for dreams. But for two, I have the same problem. And <laughs> that when I uh, every time I see someone do that, I was like, when I try to put my fingers in my mouth, it's like eating an entire fucking kielbasa. I, I was have... just I'm a Polak <laughs> that was born with sausage fingers myself, so it's not going to happen. I have problems with cell phones and and the Blackberries. Forget it. I would never be able to have a Blackberry. I remember borrowing a friend's back Blackberry and just hitting like Quirt <laughs> instead of you know you know. W. I meant to say goodbye to my mother. (laughs) Mike, I finally finished Briar Patch, which was on USA Network, and I I give it high praise. It's a really good series from Andy Greenwald. Uh, Rosario Dawson is the star of that. Super Mm -hmm. duper watchable. 
it's a bit over plotted at least at the end of it but it's still you know it follows through on the agatha agatha christie whodunit setup there's a lot of action which i did not expect that was really well done all right and you, you know you got all the zoo animals there again and yeah you've been high just, on it throughout yeah so it, this is a fun series you know give it a try if you're looking for a quick binge watch if you like uh whodunits uh go there and finally i'm taking way too long and this what we're watching but i watch a lot of shit i watch belgravia why and i because I read the book and the book was good. That's not an excuse. There's other things out there. Because it's Downton Abbey 2. Because Ugh. I need something to talk about with my mother. And I think this is kind <laughs> the of The sigh. A... The sigh before you tried to talk yourself into well, that just now. Well, the sigh is that I don't really want to keep watching it. But now <laughs> my mom and I have talked about it. And mm-hmm. it's become a thing. And I, I think I'm going to have to keep watching it. Like, I wonder if I can lie. Like, can I remember the book and just talk to her about it and then lie like I watched it but, and hope that it stuck to the book? I, <laughs> no. I can't. But no, she now you to have this, to finish Now it. I can't. Now right. I have to watch it. <laughs> but here's how I watch this show, Mike. It's mm-hmm. just me screaming obscenities. Like, if I'm by myself, I'm just screaming obscenities at these dukes and duchesses and lords and ladies because fuck them. They're all too rich. They live in Belgravia, which is the most rich, the, the wealthiest part of London. I, I'm rooting for the, all of them to die and die badly. And I know the story, and I'm still rooting for it. If so it wasn't going to be Strange Dick, the podcast was going to be called Because Fuck Em. So I think you're hitting on some stuff that's really uh, really prevalent in the MMO empire here. Please start talking. You watch anything else this week? <laughs> I watch. I rewatched some stuff. I rewatched Midsummer, which is just as freaky. I did watch mm-hmm. the, the Chris Delia, the new uh, Delia, the new stand-up on Netflix. It was very good. But here was what happened with me: is that I was watching mm. Midsummer on Amazon Prime, and I flipped over to Netflix, uh, and I have Xfinity, so you're able to do that just by talking into your remote. So I oh, didn't wow. stop Midsummer, and I didn't know the movie kept going in the background. Apparently, it does until it finishes. So I was, I, I stepped at the last like 20 minutes of Midsummer. Because it was getting late and I wanted to watch the Chris D'Elia stand up. I flipped over to Chris D'Elia. I'm watching that for 20 minutes. And then all of a sudden, uh, so I have the Midsommar like feeling of dread and just horror and still all that. <laughs> it's a on. lot. Yeah, and it's a lot. Chris D'Elia, 20 minutes in, it's funny. It's good. I recommend it if you like his comedy, but it just stops. And all of a sudden the screen goes dark in the middle of the night on me. And this old music starts playing through my TV. And so I think to myself. I'm going to die now. <laughs> like, I, I literally stood up and looked around me and like turned around expecting to see the spirit of someone. Like I'm like, I've seen every horror movie. I know this is my moment for death. I'm going to fully embrace it. Turns out all that happened was that when a movie finishes on Amazon Prime on Xfinity, apparently if you don't stop it, it'll just automatically end what you're showing and go back to show you the end credits. It's just that it took a while to flip over, but the audio picked up right away. So I'm standing there, I'm sitting there with a blank TV in the middle of the night by myself with mm-hmm. this haunting music playing through a black screen. I thought I was dead. That's the closest I've ever come to death, I think. And now I've, I've pretty much seen the other side. And it looks similarly to this one, just with worse music playing. So, Well, this is your fault, though. You realize this. How's correct? that? <laughs> Because you're not supposed to stop a movie with 20 minutes left. No, it was getting late. It was Ever. getting late. No, I, no, I no, get no, it. No. I, the bear, I understand. I've seen it. You I've been there. get it. You've seen it, but you should be more respectful. And this were, were the film gods just smiting you, basically thinking that, making you think that the ring was going to happen and the girl Hitchcock was is behind me and just slashes yeah. my throat. Yeah, I, I would have respect. It would have been a respectable way to go, at least. I, I could have understood <laughs> it. So uh, that was my rewatching for the week, but we can move on to some trailer thoughts. Trailer 
Only one trailer of note this week, but it is coming out, and it's been a long time coming. The new Tom Hardy movie, Capone, is going to drop on digital May 12th. The premise, like I said, the long-awaited reveal of Tom Hardy as America's most notorious gangster, but in a script that has been pitched during Patton Oswalt's stand-up. So, Mike, if he is a really good actor, mm-hmm. Tom Hardy, and he's playing a really bad acting job in the sense that Al Capone is trying to dupe all these people, you know, into thinking that he is late in life, doesn't know what's going on, that he has dementia, and he's basically doing it to get away with another big score, right? He mm-hmm. hit some money somewhere, as this trailer represents. Then I might be in for this. But it, it's not if he's Capone not, at the peak of his powers, right? But Mike, they didn't even try with the makeup. And that's my biggest issue. But like, he's supposed to be playing this late in life character, but he looks like a 40 year old guy or a 35 year old guy in terrible, terrible makeup. It's not great. I agree. I too was kind of let down by the look of this. And the reason I said the Patton Oswald thing is that, yeah, there's that, that playing of, is he really losing his mind or is he just kind of acting this way for the last big score? And we know Capone syphilis kind of did eat away at his brain. And that's how he met his demise there at the end of his life. And Patton Oswalt has a very famous sketch about like pitching an Albert Einstein movie, but only the three minutes of his life after he ate some bad egg salad. And why would anyone make that movie if it's just Albert Einstein on the can the whole time? He was making the comparison to the Passion of the Christ. Why would you make mm. the movie about Jesus when it's the worst days of that guy's life? Why would you, you know? Uh, so that's pretty much what the doing here yeah i'm with you i was a little let down but it's still tom hardy so i'm gonna give it every benefit of the doubt in the world and hope for the best here i think tom hardy does this from time to time where he just has to do the overacting performance to cleanse himself for the next movie to where he can kind of tone it down because mike he has done some great work right. in Oscar-level films that we've reviewed and gushed over. And then he does whatever that FX show was, right, where everybody is saying it's just Tom Hardy unleashed. He's a looney tune. <laughs> and, you know, we've seen this, but like Lawless, he was he was over the top in Lawless. I wasn't a fan. I've, I've been up and down on Tom Hardy. This is like full-blown Nicolas Cage. I mean, he is just jutting out his jaw. I like I, I hate his stupid face at this. It looks so stupid. <laughs> Capone had a very punchable face, I think, too. But it's just that if you thought about punching it, he would shoot you in a violent manner and kill your that's family. Right. That's right. So that's right. Maybe that's what Hardy will get away with here. I'm still interested to see. Obviously, we will be covering this because of the hype that has come with it in the previous years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's the only new trailer we have of note uh, as far as award season or blockbustery type stuff goes. We can transition into a Do You Care segment. This is where we take other news stories of the week, and we will ask each other, do we, should we, or will we care about them? The way we start every Do You Care segment is I ask Michael here about the new releases, which again, Mm. for another week, will be stuff that you can see at home and at the fingertips of your remote. That's coming to VOD this week. We have The Photograph unleashing April 28th. We also have The History of the Kelly Gang coming out the 24th, and To the Stars debuts on the 24th as well. 
So all these got good reviews, but I'm probably more interested in the next uh, few movies here. I think I agree with that surmising, su- sum- summary, summarization. <laughs> Whatever the word means for conclusion there is what I was going for. On streaming, we had the Willoughbys, which we've talked about and previewed, coming to Netflix on the 22nd. Time to Hunt, as apparently we've talked about its legal issues in the past here on MMOW. Those have now been behind them, and they will be on Netflix on the 23rd. That was actually a quick turnaround for the legal yeah. process. Extraction is also dropping on Netflix on the 24th. And that Beastie Boys story, which has been the the documentary about the upbringing and kind of the the end days of the Beastie Boys, comes to Apple TV Plus on the 24th as well. We also have Bad Education dropping on HBO this week. So so in an announcement here, we're going to do Bad Education. We're going to do an HBO episode. We'll review it at the beginning of that, uh, that show for the beginning of next week, Mike. That seems like an Emmy player, so at least it looks like we're going to get a really good movie available to us this time of year. Can you believe it? Yeah, I mean, we talked about this one a couple times, and it was the big player at TIFF last year or the year before when it was bought. I can't remember, but it was set the market at TIFF. It was the highest price sold, and the filmmakers made that movie thinking it was an Oscar contender. So it's going to be kind of fun to see this type of movie playing out not on a streaming service, but actually on premium cable and see how it stacks up vis-a-vis some other Oscar contenders of recent years if the eligibility requirements are changed by the academy you never know could they you know become a hit on hbo and on hbo max and then say why not why not go for an oscar instead of an emmy that might be interesting especially if the field is diluted to see if if the premium networks get in on the well you know streaming is technically still tv and you're waiving the requirements for them this year that will certainly be something to keep an eye on you're absolutely right but I'm I'm in for the Netflix projects. I think uh, I, I'm more like curious with the Willoughby's. I think Extraction is probably the last movie I'll put on of the of those three. Beastie Boys story. I need this to be good. Like this is from director Spike Jones. Apple TV Plus is on the chopping block for me. I know it's only five bucks a month, but I'm just not using it at all. Yeah. I don't know about you. Same here. So, haven't been haven't been using it. And I actually saw only one review so far for the Beastie Boys. Maybe it was Rolling Stones. Don't quote me on that. I can't remember specifically, mm-hmm. but I, I just heard it was very sad. Oh really? A very a very sad and like borderline like sad, yes, very, you know, emotional but also sad, maybe a little pathetic. So, we'll we'll see how that one plays and hopefully uh, you can find the 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 merits of it. Yeah, we'll see. Mike, I want to ask you a bunch of things about the state of movies, the studios and especially the movie theaters here. Cinemark, one of the largest chains in the country, They've been putting out plans and and their hopes to reopen in July. Yeah, this goes into a bigger story, too, of that how we have Georgia is the first state that had closed movie theaters Mm. that is now going to reopen movie theaters, except they're still going to be abiding by social distancing guidelines. And then AMC came over the top when Georgia made that decision yesterday, saying, well, we're not going to be able to open right away because we have to retrain employees. And AMC is dealing with their own bag of worms right now financially and what that all means. They might Uh, They seem to have a bailout uh, in tow, but regardless, there's some movies that can be tentpole still, and I guess it's wise of WB to have not moved Tenet. I guess it's wise of Disney to have pushed Mulan out to a July date. If the movie industry, if the theaters can come back around and there's enough theaters that are open 
to make it financially viable for these movies to exist in the late July, early August window like they have been, then there's a chance they can do decent business. I don't know that there's going to be enough money for them to like make Buku bucks, quite frankly, because if you're opening these theaters, you're still going to have to limit capacity to probably 50 percent per yeah. theater, right? So maybe they do well in on the box office charts and maybe we have a static top five for like 10 or 11 weeks in a row, depending on how many new movies get released. But I, I don't know that they're going to be doing wonderful box office numbers, except for the fact that everyone who does go to these theaters is obviously going to be chomping at the bit to see new movies, because as of right now, the only things, the stories we keep reading and hearing is that everything people are going to see on these screens is going to be what's called library films. They're going to be old movies just shown yeah. again. I think Ann Thompson kind of hinted at what you were saying. You just expounded on it, and I agree. Tenant could have 10 days essentially running unopposed right. at the box office when a lot of people are going. I mean, this is this is prime time for you know college kids to be going to the movies right before they head back to school, right? I mean, the end of July, early August, that's when people are, are, are at least that age group is going, and it makes a lot of sense. Now, is there enough money to be made out there? Right. Well, most of the, let's say studios, most of the studios have moved their slates. So there's not going to be any holdovers whatsoever. Right. Wonder Woman doesn't come till August 12th. Mulan's uh, July 27th. So again, you you got some time where it just might be those three. You might have two months where those three movies are t- taking it all. The problem is if AMC does go under and at least they shutter those theaters for a time, Michael, that's 661 American theaters. That's 1,000 theaters worldwide. And I think that's a problem. Like, you take away 11% of U.S. theaters and a lot of screens. It's probably a higher percentage of screens. Now that takes a chunk out of the box office that was going to be diluted perhaps by social distancing regulations anyway. If this doesn't change and AMC does go down, I would be surprised if, if Tenant holds there. I've been waiting for them to move Tenet for the last couple of weeks. I'm surprised they haven't. I guess this is what they're clinging to. They think there is still some box office to be made. I, yeah, you're right. I wouldn't be surprised if they do end up moving it. But also, I wouldn't be surprised if Georgia rolls this back, specifically Georgia, because they're the first ones to kind of change these regulations after shuttering yeah. them in the first place. But I said the whole time I hated when China opened too soon just to close the theaters again. I worry about America doing that and the message it would send. I hope yeah. they don't they don't end up doing that, but it, it's very much in play, especially if you listen to organizations like the World Health Organization, who says the worst of the curve is still to come. It's scary. Yeah. It's scary. But I'm, I'm glad it's been flattening. So that's good right, news. Right. And it's good news that they're trying to consider reopening, sure. I guess. Michael, do we have good news about AMC? Because they did try to raise some cash on Wall Street, hoping to avoid bankruptcy. Yeah, I read this article from The Hollywood Reporter. Look, economics was not a great subject for me. And when you get into <laughs> the uh, the finances of it, I understand raw numbers. I don't understand supply and demand. Um <laughs> Essentially, they talked to a lot of Wall Street tycoons and analysts, and what I gathered from their quotes, the takes were basically AMC thinks they have a private equity line of like half a billion dollars to basically keep their head above water so they don't have to go under and reorganize in bankruptcy. And the analyst takes for all this plan when they were presented of it in mass was basically great. Hope it works out for you guys. Oh, <laughs> so no. it's not exactly inspiring a lot of hope, but you know, the fact that AMC is trying to do something it, that should be in and of itself inspiring, at least a little bit. They're not just <sighs> going to roll over and die here. 
I guess so. And it's just such a shame. I love AMC. What What's also a shame, Michael, is that uh, AMC should have invested in drive-in movie theaters, uh, especially those in Germany and South Korea. I mean, there's a big feature on it a couple days ago from The Hollywood Reporter because they are booming. Business is booming overseas. And kudos to Ryan L. Terry, who predicted this. Yeah, I, who would have known, though, honestly, you know, unless you, if you didn't have your 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 if you weren't playing in the drive in movie market before this, you didn't have mm-hmm. time to kind of acquire any or purchase any. Uh, and if you did, it, I don't even know that you would have made your money back at this point for the price you right. would have had to pay to get those uh, in your portfolio. But yeah, kudos to Ryan Altieri. He did come on our show. He suggested that or he suggested us on our Twitter timeline as well, saying that this could be a possibility. And uh, they seem to be doing well for themselves. It's nice to have a story about drive in movie theaters doing well, even though it takes a global pandemic for that to happen <laughs> well everybody just wants to get out of the house you right. know, said the article and then you know they're sold out you know showings in advance i mean like weeks in advance so it's it's wild so i, I i'm really happy for uh, those theaters at least you know can can have a tentpole financially for their year anyway michael final story in this section we had annapurna lay off their cfo lionsgate laid off 20 marketing employees disney furloughed over 100 employees this is not great news uh for the for the business Uh, this is why we have so much unrest in these I'm editorializing, but I think they are absurd liberation protest movements uh, protesting these stay-at-home and shut-in orders because the federal government has released one check of $1,200, and we the country has been effectively closed now for three months or two yeah. and a half months. So I am on these waves, and I know our reach is what it is, but I've been yelling and screaming for weeks that somebody needs to do something, and it can't just be Netflix stepping up to give $100 million and then $50 million, and it can't just be sag after donating $6 million. It needs to be headed and spearheaded by our federal government on a national level and a national scale, and we need to be told things are going to be okay, and here's the plan, and here's why we need to be closed, and here's the date to look forward to, and it's Probably not a great idea to be on the side of the protesters. I don't know. That's my opinion. Uh, but yeah, if companies like Disney can't survive right now, and company Annapurna has had their own history of financial woes here too. But if these companies that have a lot of money in pocket are struggling, how is the little guy going to get by? Imagine what the little guy is facing right now. So it's sad. I mean, things are just getting ugly out there in a lot of ways. I agree. Yeah, I'm with you. All right, that story's done. So through the magic of seamless editing, it's not at all like we took a three-hour break in between that last question and this one. So, Mike, the next Do Your Care question is we have a bunch of stories on the state of streaming as it sits currently. There are Wall Street valuations of Netflix after quarter one. They predict an even higher subscription gain for the company. uh, And actually, because of how well it's been doing during the pandemic, its stock has been valued at that of higher than Disney's Do You Care? Well, I care and I'm torn on this one because on the one hand, I'm happy for Netflix. They have, you know, put out a lot of good reasons for getting good karma back to them, right? Because they've supported indie filmmakers. They've developed a lot of new voices. They've, you know, put out that $150 million fund that you just referenced for their workers, for their employees during this pandemic. Yes, just they, referenced. Right. They've, they've put out a lot of, they've done a, lo- a lot of good stuff, Michael. And on the one hand, I'm happy for them. On the other hand, 
they are about to kill the film industry once and for all and the theatrical movie-going experience that I love. <laughs> and the reason why we do this podcast as we know it is about to die. And they will be <laughs> the ones surviving it. So, got to be take the good with the bad sometimes, Mike, you know? Cool, 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 right? Oh, my <laughs> God. But I, seriously, I think this is temporary. Disney stock went down. They've been plummeting because of the pandemic, like a lot of stocks. I don't think this will be the reality a year from now or a year and a half from now. Then again, if the theatrical movie going experience is done, then it will be. But I don't think so. I think Disney will overtake them again. At least right now, Netflix can kind of wipe their hands of being the sole culprit that has killed the movie-going experience. <laughs> right. you, you know, I mean, they're not the sole. It's it's more like a two-man weave now that they're running with this pandemic as opposed to just streaming service. But nonetheless, even though it is a pandemic, Netflix also continues to keep buying films. They won the distribution rights for Melissa McCarthy's next drama, The Starling, for a total of $20 million. And they also bought Millie Bobby Brown's adventure movie from legendary Enola Holmes. Enola Holmes is the weirdest name, isn't it? Doesn't it sound like the next pandemic? I was just going to say, do we need a protagonist right now that sounds so close to Ebola? It sounds ridiculous, but perhaps it's a great movie. I don't know. I think uh, the Starling has a strange premise, Michael, because this is about a married couple played by McCarthy and Chris O'Dowd. They suffer a tragedy, and the husband seeks professional help while Melissa McCarthy fights with starling birds, basically <laughs> while gardening. And this is going to be a heavy drama, but I keep thinking about her being a comedian getting attacked by this bird. So she goes and seeks the help of a veterinarian played by Kevin Klein, of course. Kevin Klein making a comeback. Huh? Well, look, I mean, we keep asking for original properties. I don't know if this is an adaptation, but it's not a property I've heard of. And if this is where you're going to live, these, uh, you know, obviously the distribution rights is not the budget, but still $20 million to get the rights to this. And if you can make these films for 10 to 15 million in and of themselves, that's what original properties should aim to be right now. And at least Netflix is providing a home for those types of movies. So I'm happy about that, uh, even though Netflix is an unstoppable juggernaut made of all our fears <laughs> and despair. Uh, streaming schedule also has some additions announced to it, Michael. We had officially Disney Plus saying Artemis Fowl will be released June 12th, and The Lovebirds will officially make its debut on Netflix May 22nd. So I can't believe I'm saying this, but I care too much because I want these movies now. We got nothing really new now <laughs> yeah. to sink our teeth into on a weekly basis, you know, at least with new films that I, I'm dying for. And I'm kind of interested in Artemis Fowl. It's this Harry Potter knockoff, and I'm curious at the $100 million budget, right? And then the Lovebirds, you know, we have Kumail Nanjiani, we have Issa Rae. I love them both as comedians, so I would totally watch those two movies this minute. Yeah, about Artemis Fowl, I don't... There's something about that movie to me. I think Disney might have dodged a bullet by keeping that one out of theaters. I have nothing to base that on other than gut instinct, but I haven't seen any. Usually when Disney spends $100 million on something for a theatrical release, there's a lot of momentum in the months leading up to it beforehand. And I'm talking about even pre-pandemic momentum. Like this would have right. been something people were clamoring for in the holidays. And I heard nothing about it. It's just kind of stuck in my psyche as something that might have been a bit of a flop so i think if that one comes out and it gets like the john carter uh <laughs> treatment the john carter acceptance how could have been you. a dodged bullet well artemis fowl is this book series and i never wanted to read it and i love all fantasy books right so yeah I, I don't i don't see a lot of juice for it at this moment maybe it was a smart move michael let me throw a few questions at you in this section here how about 
HBO Max, they made news that J.J. Abrams is going to spearhead three shows, including, and you've been uh, hoping for this, Justice League Dark, and then a spinoff on The Shining. Are you not going to watch a J.J. Abrams Overlook Hotel miniseries from HBO? I would think that uh, a character would die. And then immediately <laughs> not be dead. And yeah. everybody be, yay, You could probably say that for Justice League Dark as well. But it looks like this is kind of the new avenue that, that TV is going in. We had the Game of Thrones guys get their, their hooks th- driven into them by Netflix for $200 million. HBO might be tying themselves to J.J. Abrams. I think it's a smart idea. I mean, these are guys that have come up with properties that have totally absorbed the zeitgeist at different times. And I don't think there's there's bad... Well, I was going to finish that sentence saying I don't think there's bad in J.J. Abrams. And then I realized I was totally blocking out this past December by choice. So maybe, hopefully, he got his um, below J.J. Abrams quality type stuff out of his system with episode nine. These are the two weirdest projects for him. Like Justice League Dark should end darkly. And The Shining is not a happy ending. Why is J.J. Abrams doing The Shining? This makes no sense for him. I know he's, you know executive producing or creating or whatever he's behind the scenes and maybe he hires some badass to direct this thing and and tell the actual story but these are not the stories i would have expected i hope he's not in charge of the story arc for the shining because that thing's confusing enough without just keep him away from the story (laughs) right like like uh, he does jj abrams is a great director but he has trouble when he's the one penning the script at the end Mm -hmm. is what i'll say so i i'm excited to see him bring his touch to the dc universe and bring his touch to the overlook but you know other writers are out there too collaboration is a good thing it makes the world go round Finally, Mike, Fandango now, and we were, you know, talking to Brian Formo of Fandango a couple times during Oscar season. Fandango now has acquired Voodoo, where we just watched Draft Day for free with some ads that were very annoying, by the way. But Voodoo is now owned by Fandango now, Voodoo sold from Walmart. So that's two stories there. One is Walmart doesn't seem to have any interest in spreading their portfolio and joining the streaming game or staying in it whatsoever. Uh, And two is Fandango, who has already been kind of buying titles and collecting them for their own little on-demand libraries, which we've talked about on this show on MMO Weekly and Oscar Race Checkpoint a couple times over the last year. They seem to be growing bigger, and they want to be taken more seriously as some kind of streaming entity in this race. I don't know that Fandango is going to get to, you know, be one of the major players like an HBO Max or like a Netflix, but I think more options are a good thing right now in this space. Uh, and I think any kind of competition in the private sector is a good thing. These, Call me crazy. Uh, these duosyllabic, uh, t- you know, streaming service titles, I don't know if they're going to work. Quibi. I, Quibi isn't a real thing. Quibi's fake, and I'm not going to take my time and my money and investigate it any further. It's a fake service. I don't buy it. And if they want to give us a free trial, I'll check it out. Should we just rebrand and just say we're Bebe? That's <laughs> yeah. terrible. Or Momo. Yeah. Momo. <laughs> All right, Mike, let's talk about with the state of film festivals. Uh, because we've had this one-hour program stretched out over 17 hours of recording today, mm-hmm. we had this story drop. The South by Southwest filmmakers are opting out of the Amazon Prime streaming option. And in fact, only seven feature films are going to be uh, premiered and debuted via Amazon Prime's South by Southwest virtual market 
we also called this not too long ago. Yeah, we called this. It's just not worth, you know, devaluing their product for for later on. And Ann Thompson was all over this as well. Yeah. When we interviewed her, it, you know, what she said, we told them. So uh, it's unfortunate because I think if they did the, the, the whole thing we were hoping for was like make it like a program and basically – you know, eight o'clock one night is the film premiere for this. Right. It's shown one time. If you, you're either it, you're with it or you're not, it's on Amazon Prime. But this, it's an event viewing, and okay, a couple thousand will watch that. Maybe many thousands for something big, but in, in most cases, they would have you know minimized the exposure because you just can't have ridiculous amounts of exposure because nobody's going to buy it when it's actually up for purchase. I mean, when you think about it, everybody's paying a ticket to go to Sundance, first of all. And second of all, there's hundreds of people seeing it at a festival at most, not thousands. So you're going to take the risk, make it thousands. You got to give them some incentive to do so. Word of mouth is a different marketing tool than having people actually see it for themselves all at once before having to spend money on it. Uh, Another film festival, the Venice Film Festival, still saying they're going to go ahead with plans to go forward on September 2nd through the 12th, and they currently have no plans to combine or share the stage with Cannes this year. So the next story is going to prove my point here, but usually these film festivals, they need a couple of months for people to book their tickets, for, for things to get going, for them to complete their plans, right? So there's still... Maybe a cup. They have two months left to to make a decision on this thing. I would say they don't have to make the move on September yet. Whereas I think you know the marketing campaigns for movies. Maybe you have actually a less amount of time. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not making these decisions. But we're still five months away from this. They still got a little wiggle room. Yeah, and something that was a couple months away right now, San Diego Comic-Con, the original Comic-Con, the biggest one in the country, they have also gone forward and canceling their 2020 event, but they say they will return in 2021. That is obviously not the last of the movements, but that's the latest, where we usually get some debuts and some trailer looks. Yeah, case in point, San Diego Comic-Con starting in July, the other one September. Comic-Con has has to make a decision now, whereas Venice has another you know, month or so. Michael, let me throw this last question to you because we have a bunch of movement on the calendar. WB changed the Batman that bumped from June to October of 2021. The Many Saints of Newark, the Sopranos prequel, moved from September to March, uh, moved a whole year. We have King Richard in some big news. Yeah. That went from November to to November of 2021 and then in the Heights. Oh my God. In the, I didn't even see this. When did this happen? That just dropped during our 18 hour, uh, in between recordings here that moved to 2021 as well. No, this is terrible. (laughs) You're getting fresh off the cuff reactions from me. Uh, I, I, I heard you say that Venom and Marv, uh, Morbius, that those were moving Spider-Man three. Oh my God. All that's in 2021. Yeah, so a big slate of stuff has been moved. A uh, couple following up on the, the Venom 2 news. We have an official release date for it. We have an official name for it. It's going to be Venom, Let There Be Carnage. Don't know why that took so long to debut, if that's the name you're going to go with, but okay. I like that name. Uh, it's it's I it's fine. I hope they don't kill off Carnage. I hope they recast Carnage. I'm sorry I like Woody Harrelson. That's been my main gripe. I don't want to see him play Carnage. Maybe he'll surprise me. But the point of this is that we're going to get between March and July of 2021 right now, as far as the Sony Marvel Universe goes, 
Morbius is slated for March 19th. Venom 2, the Carnage movie, is slated for June 26th. And Spider-Man 3 is slated for July 16th. So we're going to get a four-month span with a lot of world building done very quickly. And that's kind of the overall point of 2021 in general. It's going to be a huge year for movies. We're getting two, essentially. So whereas this year's Oscars, obviously Spider-Man's not an Oscar movie, but whereas this year's Oscars aren't main to have kind of a weak field to pick from because a lot of contenders and should be contenders are being moved to 2021 yeah. next year's oscars are going to be huge i mean we both talked about king richard in our 100 accurate previews we, we both talked about in the heights with the batman could be something and now that's going to go head to head with the final halloween trilogy chapter uh if that if number two doesn't get moved to next year at any time soon so this is a lot of a lot of big stuff is being moved and it's going to create quite the log jam for 2021 it's going to be really really interesting to see how the box office ends up shaking out. Big case of Darwinism might happen at the theaters next year. I'm sad that Into Heights actually moved back to June as well. Like that that went to an Oscar date, right? And yeah. then it went back to a kind of blockbuster date. I mean, it's good. They they they're confident in it. Well, that means money, that but... means it's a it's a it's an all outdoors movie, right? Like it's just yeah. all about being in the park and playing in the water in summertime because they aren't taking the holiday approach with it. Yeah, unfortunately. And uh, WB also moved Shazam 2, their Elvis movie, and uh, The Flash. Those all jostled around the schedule in 2021 and 2022 as well. So, yeah, we're setting up for a big 2021. Uh, Yes, I think we all obviously care about that. You can stay tuned for Mike, Mike, and Oscar to let you know when more of the film world changes as it is ever-evolving. And an unfortunate change we had to deal with this week as well is... One of the, the big Mike, Mike, and Oscar favorite, Brian Dennehy, unfortunately passing away at 81 years of age. And if you mm. listen to us for any period of time, uh, not a surprise to hear me call him an MMO favorite at all. He was a Golden Globe winner, who was also a longtime Connecticut native. Dennehy is either best known for his dramatic work in such films as Ron Howard's Cocoon or The Death of a Salesman TV movie, for which he won his aforementioned Globe. Or he's best known for his softer comedic chops, which for the generation encompassing both we Mikes here means, of course, his role as big Tom Callahan in the tentpole 90s comedy Tommy Boy. Yeah, he had such a on-screen presence, Mike. Uh, he was a great villain in films like FX, uh, First Blood, the first Rambo movie there, and Silverado, one of my favorite westerns. But he also could change things and play the life of the party like you just mentioned. Tommy Boy stars Chris Farley, who can conceivably and believably play the father of the life of that movie, Chris Farley. Only a Brian Dennehy could do that with his level of charisma. Absolutely. A sprawling career, too. IMDb resume says that he started in 1977 with a bit part on Kojak. He would follow with another 182 acting credits for roles in each of the preceding five decades, Mm. including two films currently in post-production for 2020. But he was also more than just an actor of screen. He had multiple Tony wins to his name for his work on the stage. He served America in the Marine Corps, and he was even recruited to play football at Columbia out of high school. Like you said, Mike, a man who has always positively impacted every story he was a part of. Brian Dennehy, he will certainly be missed, and he leaves behind an irreplaceable hole on the face of entertainment at the age of 81. Uh, And I think he appealed to us because not only were we raised on Tommy Boy, but we see a little bit of ourselves in him, that big guy that kind of was a large presence with a big voice. 
I loved the uh, story that Pat Oswalt told about him and his stand-up about how he was at a Hollywood function and nobody was eating the food. So much food. <laughs> gorgeous food. And Pat Oswalt couldn't believe it. And he went over there. He's like, I'm all about this. He's like, I don't care. It'd be everybody, all these skinny people be damned. And he went over to the food and started eating it. And Brian Dennehy tapped him on the shoulder and he goes, character actor, huh? <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, he's just a man after our, our own hearts. It's very sad. And, uh, you know, we pass on our condolences to his family and friends. He'll be dearly missed. Yeah, absolutely. Lives a hole in Connecticut, too, where we do this True. show from. So uh, we will try to transition and try to end uh, this episode on a bit of a lighter note as we do our audience interaction segment for Six Degrees of MMO. Your challenge last week was to connect the director, Fetty Alvarez, to... The, the guy, the presence, the person, the persona that is Weird Al Yankovic. We had a couple efficiency award winner. We'll start with Joe at Joe Messon. Fetty Alvarez directed Claire Foy in Girl in the Spider's Web. Claire Foy played a member of the Royals in The Crown. Royals was a song by Lord that Weird Al spoofed as Foil. Talking about, of course, aluminum foil. And speaking of Patton Oswalt, he's in that music video, Michael. Is he really? Wow, yes. I didn't know that. But uh, Joe almost messed his way to a win here. I'm a big fan of at least all of the IP here, even though Girl in the Spider's Web wasn't a great movie. But I'm a big fan of the actors. And yeah, that, that Weird Al spoof was probably the last time I like sought out a weird, weird Al spoof, but it was it was well done. I liked it. Stick it in your cooler, cooler. <laughs> Matt Starfighter at Matt Starfighter with one T on Matt Fetty Alvarez was with Lakeith Stanfield, who was with Adam Sandler, who of course was with Weird Al Yankovic. He goes girl in the spider's web to uncut gems, and then Sandy Wexler. So I'm guessing you're a fan of at least three out of the four there. Yes, that is correct. <laughs> Mike Ian at uh, K-U-Y-S-L-A-N. He said Fetty Alvarez directed Evil Dead in 2013, starring Jane Levy, whose name sounds like Jay Levy, who is it? Who is Weird Al Yankovic's manager. That's what we're talking about here. Great job. Oh, my Ian God. There. Awesome. The next one is from Bill Brasky at Bill Brasky 2620. He said Weird Al was the band leader on Comedy Bang Bang, uh, where Thomas Middleditch appeared on the on the same episode. Uh, Thomas Middleditch wears an enigmatic sweatshirt <laughs> and sweatpants with pockets. That's an, the whole name of the episode. My yes. God. Middleditch was in uh, the movie Fun Size with Jane Levy or Jay Leave. Yeah, look at this. <laughs> Anyway, Jane Levy was in Evil Dead, of course, directed by Alvarez. Different roots coming off the Jane Levy tree there. I like that. Dark Nook at Dark Nook Shop. Let's do a callback, they say. Fetty Alvarez directed Don't Breathe, which was David Carradine's goal. Oh, boy. When he choked himself, Weird Al's song, Traffic Jam, opens with the lyric, Carbon Monoxide, making me choke. And I'm snorting and choking at that joke. That's evil, Dark What Nook. a bad, you, bad person. You're evil, but he knew it, too. It yeah. so funny. He put a boo this man gif on top of it. Like, nobody responded. <laughs> I think he put a boo this man gif. And then, uh, you know, we, we like that or something. But, yeah, nobody's. He got crickets for that one. I thought it was hysterical. It's evil, but it's hysterical. I don't know if I should encourage this type of behavior, but, oh, God, it made me laugh. <laughs> anyway, the Mike one toast of approval. Again, I'm speaking on your behalf here. Thank you. This one goes to Ben Evans at Cinema Cinnaman Cunition. Anyway, 
go find our thread. I don't even want to spell that. That confuses <laughs> me. Alvarez directed Don't Breathe, starring Stephen Lang. Stephen Lang is in The Hard Way with James Woods. James Woods is in Scary Movie 2. Yeah, he is. With Anna Ferris. Anna Ferris is in Scary Movie 3, of course, with Leslie Nielsen. Nielsen is in Naked Gun with Weird Al. I just rewatched Naked Gun 33 and a third, the one where he uh, <laughs> robs Weird Al's tuxedo at the Academy Awards. It's great. Movie holds up. Uh, I'm glad for you. And I figured you would toast that entry. <laughs> the reigning sweat while singing award comes from Robert Duck, 1984. Alvarez made Evil Dead with Jane Levy, who's in Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist with Lauren Graham, who's in Gilmore Girls with Alexis Blydell, who's in Sin City with Bruce Willis, who's in Story of Us with Pfeiffer, who's in Dangerous Minds featuring Gangsta's <laughs> Paradise, which Weird Al spoofed for his biggest hit ever. That is true. Now, that video made our lives when we were younger, right? With the, the rain. And how many times did you watch that video and the laugh hysterically? Single silhouette lighting up the face as they go across the table from one another. And he's got the giant beard churning the butter. Oh, yes. my God. Amish Paradise was the funniest. It was, it was the pinnacle of goofy kid comedy, at, my, at, at least in my school. Anyway. Mm-hmm. The book of the week this week goes to Wojciech Weischer, who flexed his writing muscles as usual. But uh, I wanted to make mention of his first entry there because he said Weird Al was in Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, Michael. How did we miss this? How did we not talk about it for, I think we did a two-hour episode on the zombie movies when we did our Halloween rewatch there. How did we not talk about it? Was he on a TV? I don't think think he was a character, though. I think... It's in IMDb. I double-checked it. Yeah. Well, he was a character? I think so. He's playing himself. So I don't know. I mean, if he's like, he's a, he's within the movie. Yeah, he might be on uh, a TV screen. But You're going to make me fucking go back and rewatch Rob Zombie's <laughs> Halloween movies for a fucking billionth time again? God damn it, Wojciech. <laughs> All right. We'll bring back the David Lynch Awards this week. The right peak of the Twin Peaks goes to Mark Burgundy at the mm-hmm. One Hanson. Fede Alvarez uh, is going to direct Monster Rock. Mo- but yeah, tongue Monster twister. Pocalypse. Monster Apocalypse, mm. which is based on a board game, as is Clue, which starred Tim Curry, who was in Rocky <laughs> Horror Picture Show, which features a lot of cross-dressing similar to Some Like It Hot. If you're going to go Tim Curry, what? Yeah, all right. Starring <laughs> <laughs> Tony Curtis, who was Lobster Man from in Lobster Man from Mars with Dr. Demento, whose radio show featured Weird Al Yankovic. That just sounds like a lot of words that are going to get me in trouble if we don't move on quickly. All right, let's move on quickly then. But uh, that was very talent, a lot of talent on display there. Anyway, the left peak goes to Nolan Roberts at Nolan Roberts 17. Weird Al Yankovic is the favorite artist of Ted Mosby in How I Met Your Mother, which had a guest appearance from the true karate kid, William Zabka. Wow. Who was in National Lampoon's European Vacation, directed by Amy Heckerling, who directed an episode of The Office starring James Spader, who was in Avengers Age of Ultron, which is part of the MCU, which features Spider-Man, who had a prior film franchise directed by Sam Raimi, who also wrote and directed The Evil Dead, which had a remake directed by Fetty Alvarez. Wow. Great job, Nolan Roberts there. I like that one a lot. A lot of in-depth, good good information, guest starring roles. I dig it. I dig Uh, it. 
get two, but I think our winner was a little more efficient, and I, I appreciated this. And that goes to Ken Murray at Murray Maker this week. He goes big stretch here, but Fady directed Don't Breathe with Stephen mm-hmm. Lang, who played Babe Ruth in a movie. Babe played for the Yankees, the team George Costanza worked for on Seinfeld, which yes. starred Michael Richards, who was in UHF with Weird Al. A lot of places you can go with the Michael Richards connection, but I'm glad he kept it PG and went with the UHF link, getting it back to Weird Al. Yes, great job there, Ken Murray. You are the winner of all things Six Degrees of MMO this week. I needed a UHF reference. I'm surprised <laughs> more people didn't go there. Yes, yeah, so was I. Yeah, we also just did a baseball movie awards show, and I didn't know Stephen Lang ever played the babe. So that was a deep cut, which I appreciated. Finally, I'm biased because I, I just rewatched season seven of Curb Your Enthusiasm and the Seinfeld reunion special yes. season. You know, they're they're in every other episode. So I'm I'm extra sentimental there. This all worked. And the way that, that they handled Michael Richards too, I thought was just beautiful in that <laughs> yeah, show. It's hilarious. Funny. So uh, yeah, yeah. Ken Murray, you are the winner of all things six degrees of MMO bragging rights. You get the throne. That is uh, it's got the, the globe on top of it. It's uh, it's a Pope mobile. <laughs> Uh, help me out here, Mike. What am I missing? I can't remember. You put a giant Purell cannon on That's top. That's right. That's right. And you're Good. shooting people. Still my proudest moment. Covering them in giant <laughs> balls of Purell. Oh, come on. So now. disgusting. <laughs> and and I guess hygienic. But I, what does Purell do to the eyes? It burns them. <laughs> it burns them. So we're blinding all these people because it's so much Purell mm-hmm. that we're burning holes into everybody's eyes because basically what's happening right now is there's a lot of, you know, ride-by visits mm-hmm. and we're just, we can't help it, but we're getting caught up in these ride-bys. You're trigger-happy up there because you're controlling this and you're evil, like kind of like Dark Nook before, and you're just shooting everybody with Purell and you're blinding them. Yeah. No, I could see myself doing that. I think that's accurate. Yeah, I, I would take that. So when... Do we get arrested? Yeah. They're far too big of balls of Purell to, like, (laughs) contain. They just take out houses and stuff, and I'm just gleefully behind the trigger. Me and Ken Murray now in the back high-fiving, but we got to have gloves on, of course, (laughs) because it's a pandemic out there. Yeah, I like this. Uh, Next week we can get arrested, and we'll start a new throne after that. But that is your Six Degrees of MMO for this week. Michael, what is next week's challenge? Okay, so we're going to review Bad Education, which I believe premieres on Saturday night on HBO. If not, it's on Sunday. Day. Anyway, the 25th. What day is it? Mike, Geraldine, <laughs> Geraldine Viswanathan is going to be the high school reporter, we think. We praised her when we reviewed the trailer, and she's going to break the story on Hugh Jackman and Allison Janney here, we think, we hope. And uh, she's somebody we've wanted to include in one of these for a while. She's a rising talent. I like to draw attention to rising talents in six degrees of MMOs. And we're going to go to Michael Jordan. Jordan because he's such a superstar in basically in pop culture again and this it's a long time coming for the last dance his documentary on ESPN yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. So that is your six degrees of MMO challenge for this week. Geraldine Viswanathan to Michael Jordan. That, mercifully, is the end of this episode of MMO Weekly. Uh, guys, we hope you enjoyed it. And what will take you an hour to listen to took us, honest to God, about five to get through after multiple stops and starts. So uh, hopefully you enjoy the effort here. As always, we want to hear from you, your thoughts, comments, questions, concerns about anything we did and covered in this episode and anything else we do in the MMO. MMO Empire. You can leave us those. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook. Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram at MM and Oscar on Twitter. Mike, Mike, and Oscar at G. 
gmail.com.com. And on Reddit, we are available everywhere. You hear podcasts. And if you're letting us entertain you during your downtime in quarantine, we thank you very much for giving us a shot. And if you can leave a five-star review on the Apple Podcast app, we would truly appreciate that. Michael, what is coming next from us and what are some words of wisdom? Well, in terms of the words of wisdom, I'm going to defer back to all my previous words of wisdom and just say it's wise to listen to all the previous words of wisdom because I can't come up with anything now. Smart, smart, good man. What's what's coming next? I just mentioned, I think we're going to, for the beginning of the week, we're going to review Bad Education on HBO. It's also going to be a big HBO episode where we preview HBO Max and where we do a top five ranking of HBO's original movies. So that will be fun. And then... The next episode we're going to do, we just decided upon it before recording today, we're going to do a fantasy casting show. And what we're going to do is we're going to basically be casting agents, casting directors for like three or four big things going on right now. Number one is the Tiger King movie. So that's going to be fun to talk about. And uh, a lot of people are doing it. We're going to jump in on the craze there. Number two is this pandemic. I think we're just going to cast real-life people like Dr. Fauci and, and Pence and Cuomo and, and maybe another person who's kind of a big deal. <laughs> Nothing? You don't got, I've, you're, I've heard, you're tired. I've heard of them. I anyway. am tired. I am tired, but yes. Finally, we're going to do a little fantasy casting for some sports stuff. So we're wondering if we'll do like Draft Day 2020, this year's NFL Draft. Mel Kuyper, Dave Gettleman, uh, Burrow, Tua. We'll, we'll figure out some fun things to do with that. And then perhaps we might do a little something that's connected to that six degrees. So a lot of stuff going on for this next episode. Whoever I cast as Dave Gettleman, I get to punch in the face if I'm not happy <laughs> with what goes on Thursday and Friday. But yes, that is what is coming next from us. Guys, as always, when reality sucks, you can come watch these movies, hang out, and hopefully have some laughs with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you soon. See ya.